Welcome to HBW's Over the Counter podcast. I'm David Ridley and I'll be chatting with industry experts and insiders about the latest trends, issues and intelligence in consumer healthcare. HPW Insight continues its conversation with the Exponential Club's Nick Tate. In this episode, we discuss what the future of consumer health might actually look like, covering a lot of ground from nudge-based health insurance platforms to digital products that may supplement or even replace traditional medicines. We also talk about the promise and limitations of at-home testing for furthering personalisation and how to navigate partnerships with tech specialists, large and small, to help accelerate digital transformation plans. Uh, we can move more towards the R&D side or you know, the kinds of outputs that we might see or the products we might see from this kind of digital transformation. Mm. So ChatGPT brings to mind one thing perhaps less so company specific but a kind of new dr google where people can interact but also yeah chatbots you know companies use them don't they brand websites or different ways to interact with uh consumers about the things that they want to buy and or have bought and, and need to use so that's maybe one um another thing we've seen last year in particular is digital um Sorry, digital therapeutics. Yeah. So this is something I hadn't even heard about before last year. My colleagues in in MedTech Insight started writing about, but this yeah. seemed to begin more in the kind of prescription area. But yeah. there's there's one, for example, Achille, uh, ADHD, yeah, uh, software that is now perhaps going to be made available OTC for adults. Mm. I mean, what do you think about digital therapeutics? Do you think this is has huge potential? Yeah, I do. Um, I think that they are. Um, I think it has huge potential. I think there are significant hurdles to get through. Um, I think done well, it helps with the scalability of care. And it can be incredibly personalised to the individual. Um, and we all know that we think, you know, the, the future of healthcare is is, is far more personal, um, built around the the and holistic and built around the individual not sheep dipped but it's a very different business model with different value um, and different values and I think smart businesses are really working out how to manage um, these things really effectively in terms of the P&L. I think that what's interesting as well is that you had an awful lot of consumer businesses or B2C businesses trying to then go B2B um, and then you had a lot of B2B businesses trying to go B2C. <clears throat> so, for instance, you know, Noom started out as a consumer healthcare company and then was trying to get into employee value proposition work and think about things like sort of diabetes and, and stress. Whereas Achilles started off in the ADHD space along with people like Pair Therapeutics um, and then have been trying to move OTC because they know at the end of the day that they need a broader um, market. And, and then there's the big question around kind of reimbursables and, and kind of pay and payer relationships. Um, but most of those, most most consumer healthcare companies find it hard to get over the cost per acquisition and where the value is and how do you actually valorize the, the data outside of just selling more product to them. Um, but I think that, you know, if you think that um, this in everybody's pocket 
is a Google is a, is a doctor in your pocket, then I think that all all brands um, and health companies need to think about how can you how can you activate this? And this is an incredible machine. It has incredible sensors on it. I mean, I think I wasn't at CES this year, um, but what I do know is is that there were so many more interesting applications of how do I utilize and unlock this versus building any new tech. You know, how do I actually unlock this in a way? Because this is something that people have on them. You know, it's the first thing they see in the morning. Largely, it's the last thing they probably check before they go to bed. And, uh, you know, I think that just opens up a huge opportunity for a more personalised level of, of care via digital therapeutics, for sure. I should just note that um, Nick is is holding his phone for the for our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, I think you probably got that from the from the context. Yeah, exactly. But it's, you're right. I mean, this is like a, a product. It's, a, you know, it's, it's a discrete thing. Um, you can hold it in your hand. You can carry it around with you. But yet has thousands of applications. Many of those would will be health, consumer health care. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's so much to explore just with this, this is a kind of all in one repository of possible consumer well, health applications. It's more than one diagnostic. I mean, you know, I remember, you know, seeing amazing businesses that were trying to understand um, people's cognitive decline based on based on their typing patterns. I mean, that's insane that someone can do that, um, you know, by just monitoring the actions, both passive and active on your mobile. Um, you know, there, there we were looking at, um, you know, if you look at something like Amazon Alexa, that's been HIPAA compliant for the last six years. They've got they've got a patent on being able to diagnose you through your voice. You know, whether, you know, if you've got an upper respiratory tract infection, for instance. So and then you have the ability to then provide, you know, kind of products and services off the back of it that can then get delivered to your house within you know 25 minutes. So I think there's a massive application um, of of the mobile. But, but of course there is. But um from a digital therapeutics perspective, I think it's a way to to build kind of care packages on on and care provision on people's own terms, which I think is, you know, in a world where we know that health access is a massive problem and, and we know that um, technology is um, becoming more democratised, well, that feels like a way to scale care for people, which is, feels like a good thing. <laughs> for sure. And I suppose, you know, another thing that we've seen maybe more in the cosmetic space is the camera you know the camera being used to recognize skin conditions you know these kinds of things that's quite interesting as well isn't it yeah i mean there's, i know there's a big there was a big launch l'oreal did around beauty advisor at, at ces on the flip side there was that mirror that can tell you whether you're about to die or not which i, th I think maybe is kind of moving slightly into the realms of whether <laughs> i want to literally stare death in the mirror um <laughs> not too sure about that but I know, you know, you can look at things like ocular readings for stress, um, cardiovascular disease, the, the, the level in which you can diagnose people through through um, imagery now is is unbelievable. Um, it does it does bleed into very interesting conversations around privacy mm. and what I my right to be forgotten and what I do want to know, and what I don't want to know. I, I don't know if you've done it or not, David, but, you know, 23andMe is a great, good, good example. I ticked the boxes actually as to whether I wanted to know about any certain disease states. My, my, my family has a has a history of kind of cardiovascular issues. And I'm like, yeah, I absolutely want to know about that because the more informed I am about it, the more I feel I can do about it now 
Um, I don't want I'm personally and it's, it's an end of one. I don't believe ignorance is bliss in this space. I, I, I think I want to be able to care for myself and my family in a, in a way. See, and I don't, I'm not I'm not sure I would want to know. I'm probably the opposite. I'm like an avoider until I need to probably. Right, right. You're a very classic case of a male <laughs> in the UK then, David. I think um, <laughs> but personally, I'm like, I'd, I'd want to know um, so I can so I can do something about that. That's very different, I think, it, it, versus like something like a cancer gene um you know which is and, and there are things you know if you think about i don't know diagnostics for things like kind of me or or, or ms some of these things are sentences they're not diagnoses so i understand it's a very personal choice um but you're right you know the ability to to diagnose people from afar um or through digital biomarkers and different types of digital biomarkers is only growing and becoming exponentially more important um because it means that we're really looking at a use case in n of one versus trying to provide you know kind of blanket care and cover for people who you know everyone has their own individual health and and there's nothing more personal than your health <clears throat> so um so i think that's incredibly exciting but of course you know uh, this will just make a lot of people uh instinctively anxious or annoyed but if if governments could diagnose you from you know whatever interaction you have on a daily basis that you're in danger of x y and z you know, the question does arise, isn't it, from a public health point of view? Wouldn't you want to know that? And then you could have an intervention mm. uh, where you said, oh, did you know that you're uh, in, at risk of this or this is happening to you? But I think most people would that would make them feel incredibly uncomfortable. Well, I think that the, from any all the work I've done in terms of kind of future back strategies around around health, both from a pharma perspective and from a consumer healthcare perspective, I think you know the reality is is that you know health provision as we see it at the moment it is not sustainable um in this country or in other countries and so the the future of of health is really one of the individual and their uh, and the need for people to provision and care more for themselves and, and really that's more around healthy behaviors than it is around anything else i, mean, I think someone much brighter than me said that you know engagement science is, is the next wonder drug, next blockbuster drug. And really everyday health behaviours or healthy behaviours are the thing which is going to sustain you more so than any any pill. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, how much you exercise, your, your diet, your sleep, um, um, you know, your kind of in your environment, all of these things, you know, add, add up over time. Um, but there, and it's these small changes, you know, you read a book like James Clear's Atomic Habits, you know, it's these small changes that you can have it stacked to create more exponential outcomes. Um, I don't know whether I want to live in a country which pings me a text message saying that I'm news just in, um, you're about to have a heart attack. I don't know whether that's something I would, I would be comfortable with and whether the, whether a country would have that much um, information upon me. Um, but but undoubtedly, I think that when it comes to the future of health and the choices we have to make, um, the expectation will be more on the inv individual to to behave in a more in a healthier way, and the and and the data um, will will be will be the oil which does does help them do that. You know, and 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 once you've got the information, this is the thing, isn't it? Is that you can have all the information in the world, but if you don't act on it, then actually you're you're fallible. You know, you're liable for your own health in that instance, which is know kind of interesting space to be in you know in terms of health haves and haves nots access and exclusion yeah i mean the, the, it seems to me that 
you know, really not being qualified to to make these kinds of predictions. But it would be more about you mentioned earlier insurance, you know, insurance uh, platforms that have that direct relationship with you in your individual behaviours and health and some nudging, you know, the kind of nudge. Yeah things you get you cheaper if you are more healthy this kind of thing and then you're kind of inside a a daily that daily health interaction and then supported by whatever products you've got there as well that's a very culturally different thing isn't it i mean in britain we have the national health service you know in france they have uh also you know uh extensive public mm. support uh you know, maybe in the US that would be more natural than it would be in some European countries. Yeah, but I, I think that we're probably seeing more of a privatisation of healthcare in 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 the UK than than we've seen previously. Um, you know, I love the NHS, um, but I also know that you know my my dad um, my dad died of cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, um, and he was misdiagnosed for a number of years. Um, that's not the fault. I'm not, I'm not angry with the physician who did that or the different people he spoke to, but I think it's a it's a it's a symptom of an institution which has been, which essentially is you're never sick enough to be dealt with, and by the time you're too sick, it's too late. And I think too many families have probably suffered that. Um, so so I think that the only I think it's a natural thing that it will continue to it will continue. But the types of care that it provides for and the service it delivers is probably going to be far more restricted to the things that people who really need them. So, you know, people aren't just rocking up to hospital because they've got a cold, you know, um, but we're so used to, aren't we, in this country of it being there and it, 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 it taking care of us that it's, it's only natural to, you know, to understand. It's very clear to understand why we've got to that. But but I, I do think that in, in the future there will be a, a far more expectation on people to take better control and, and, and care of themselves and, and if they don't then there's an outcome for that which people might not necessarily like um and and it, and and ultimately i think people have to start they will start paying for care um and i think that's where things would naturally lead to which is why things like employer employer employee relationships are really important you know at, con, consumer health is an interesting term isn't it um it implies that we only we're only we only care about health when we're consuming something or buying something whereas actually health is omnipresent it's always on it's with us when we're at work it's with us when we're out on the weekend it's everywhere and so i think you'll start to see an awful lot more provision of care through employee employees employers sorry um which i think is really interesting because it then provides a a way for to create a healthy kind of sustainable workforce and that who doesn't want to work and be healthy at the same time you know I, yeah, I mean that's the thing, isn't it? That if you ideally, if there is a private health um, kind of system, then you get that through work, don't you? So I think yeah, exactly. that is a very direct relationship there. So uh, anyway, going back to uh, digital therapeutics, yeah. uh, going off piste a little bit. Um, one of the questions it raises, I was thinking, is is this thing about therapeutic versus protect preventative health? Mm. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about preventative health in um, consumer health, self-care, wellness, et cetera, is very much a post-pandemic yeah. trend. I mean, yeah, it raises the question, what do you think the future will be like? And given that we've, we have been speculating quite a bit, yeah. um, consumer health, but in general, is it going to be more about prevention in the future or, you know, therapeutic 
medicine will still have an important role in the OTC space. I mean, there's obviously always going to need be a need for drugs and mm-hmm. uh, and cause effect type solutions. But in consumer health, do you think it will look more preventative in the future? I think it's both. I think it will be both. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think surely for the long term, it needs to be more focused on prevention and this level of accountability. But the reality is, is that if we if we kind of if we, if we look into the future, the world is becoming older. Um, it's going to have more comor- comorbidities in terms of its everyday health. You know, I, I read a horrible fact couple of years ago and I'm, I'm now going to be one of those people that talks about a fact that doesn't actually cite where it's from but I read a I read a fact that I think it said that by 2050 um like 50 percent of the U.S. population is going to be diabetic or obese you know, okay well that's everyday health then isn't it I mean that's people living with that condition every day mm. <laughs> and and all of the comorbidities that has with it let's not even get into you know, movement, pain management, let's not talk about the risk for kind of cardiovascular diseases or some actually lifestyle, more lifestyle cancers. Let's not even get into the thing around kind of um, loneliness, depression, mental anxiety, all of these things that come around from those things. Now, now, preventative care cannot deal with that because that's just the reality of, of a generational, a generation upon generation of, of, of habits that have led to this state of everyday health. So I think you will have um, a mix of therapeutic OTC, you know, kind of preventative care. But I think that what's going to be really important is care provisions really going to have to be built around the individual because when you're dealing with such complexity, you can't just get, you have to get off the drip of just providing a drug. And I think that's where these kind of incentives and nudge theory that you talked about earlier and cited, David, kind of comes into things because it's not sustainable for people to just pop pills all the time. Mm. it's not good for them (laughs) um they all have side effects don't they every every drug has a side effect exactly exactly so i so i think i think it'll be both um but i think that's where consumer health actually and i'm i love the consumer health business you know i i think that it it plays such it has such a massive opportunity with this with this blurring of the lines of point of care to point of need you know in clinic at home the the term consumer health is only going to grow to accommodate what has been traditionally in some instances um dealt with in clinic and and so and so you're going to have to have a a system built around and brands built around which are genuinely trusted and supporting people with better health choices both today and tomorrow um so i think and i think that's exciting but i think it'd be but i think it'd be a mix i don't think the common cold is going away anytime soon yeah i think it's true and i think another one of my other questions which i think is another way of looking at actually this same thing is whether you'll have uh stand it'll be more about standalone digital uh therapeutic interventions or whether there'll be that relationship between consumer health products and you know digital support like an mm. app or a wearable or something something that we've seen already with uh with with some big consumer health brands for example just at top med like nicorette with the with the app yeah uh, that supports that yeah is it is it and that's the way to kind of extend it into that general support for someone isn't it that helps yeah. them be able to give up smoking through habit and provides contact with other people like i say it's a much wider part of 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 
dealing with some sort some sort of health condition do you think that's do you think that's where it is for consumer health that sweet spot products and digital additions or do you think products will end up being a minority how does that look do you think uh, no, I mean, I, I think so. I think you're right. I, I think that any, let's just take ourselves out of consumer health for a minute. I think there is a very common um, expectation that there will be a digital element or digital experience attached to a, to a product. Whether it doesn't mean to say it's the care is necessarily delivered against it, but if you think about companion apps, then they're really there designed to help the product become more efficacious. Um, and to drive better outcomes. So, so I think that you'd be. I think I think I would definitely see that as a, as a solution. There are some things which just are going to be care provision, which can be scaled better through, you know, through through a digital experience. Um, I think we've seen a real whether that's a marketplace of care for people, whether that's a um, um, a platform that people can better access care. If you look at things like you know mental health with propositions like. Is it um, Hello Self or Better Me and all of those sorts of businesses? Um, they're providing a marketplace of, of of care that makes 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 help easier to get, um, makes it a more affordable price, built around built around people's time, not having to book in you know time at a doctor's surgery, so you can do it physically versus um, versus digitally. So 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 I, so I think that will happen. Um, I think that just brands need to think very carefully around where and how they play in that space and also invest in it for the long term. You know, when, when, you, when you have an app, um, it is a product. It needs to be updated every day. Google changes its search algorithm every day, if not every hour, if not every minute uh, to be up to date with, with the, what its users need. And so there's a very different um, relationship you have with a digital um, product in that way because it's it's always on and or to be always relevant and uh, and I think large companies traditional businesses have a hard time dealing with that because they ship the product and then they might do a tweak to it in 18 months time or a range view or whatever and that's just not how this world works um, and then I think there's the regulation space as well so you have to have a very you know you're, you're having a one-on-one -on -one dialogue with a with a consumer, you have a duty of care, which is probably a bit different, and that direct relationship with with people is sounds good on paper, um, but actually, when you get into it, it's hard, you know. And it's hard it's hard to create something which is really compelling and better than anything else out there, which is ultimately what you want to do. You want a premium, have a premium experience, you know. Yeah, I think that's right. Actually, I hadn't thought about it like that. You you know, you might think, oh well, we've got this great brand, let's launch an app that will add something you'll have some sort of interaction with consumers but actually there's nothing worse than uh, a rubbish app or an app that is not very usable or an app that work, maybe worked well for a bit but actually hasn't been updated mm. um, and that actually is bad for the relationship yeah. with the brand isn't it you don't yeah really i mean that. i mean most most apps get open once you know you're going to develop something over a, a really long period of time you're going to spend a load of money on it you can advertise it and then you're going to find out that it's a ghost town and uh, and people don't come back. So, you know, brands need to think really carefully about what that experience is, what's in it for the consumer, um, why are they going to come back and be very human centred and how they do things. But that's why, you know, when we when we were talking about, you know, um, the application of, of of AI and Gen AI to into consumer health, I think that's where, you know, front end innovation and um, 
thinking about what what consumer problems are and then thinking about the solutions versus just thinking about oh we should have an experience because we've got a brand um it's a that's going back 20 years to people saying we should have a facebook page because our competitor does you know it's the world's moved on slightly so I, I think that companies do need to think carefully about it the other thing is they need to think carefully about and, and this is further out than where we are now but if you think about you know web3 and and uh, and the and, and the onset of kind of decentralized technologies um community will really be the driving force behind brands and, and fandom will be the driving force behind brands if, if you're not willing to let a, con, a consumer base or a fan base interact with and be really part of your brand then get prepared to get cancelled from that <laughs> and i think that's hard for large organizations that are used to buying media space and interrupting people's day um and I don't mean that disparagingly because there's some incredible advertising out there and incredible brands. Um, but it's a very different mindset as to engaging with people and your right to be in their space. Um, you know, the idea of paying a consumer to participate in your advert is very alien to a lot of businesses. But if you believe that's what Web3 will be, then um then that's where you kind of end up. So that should be an interesting thing to watch. Well, that is very interesting. But then doesn't that immediately raise questions around, you know, regulation and stuff, like especially in consumer health, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't. How, how if, can you? If all, if how, all like provenance is, um, you know, kind of claims is all written on the blockchain and anybody can see where any claim has ever been made ever, then arguably you can say that that makes it far more transparent and far more regulated. Um, you really can. So I see the argument for for both things. Um, what it means is that, you know, when you think about um, product claims and efficacy and ingredient stories and, you know, the your sustainable footprint and all the rest, that all needs to be recorded somewhere that everyone can see. <laughs> um, so that entail makes a very different kind of state of play for how brands and health brands need to operate in the space. But on the flip side, I think it, it it's really exciting because it means that, you know, um, you're, you're appealing to people's passion points and you're galvanize, galvanizing your brand and, um, you know, kind of um, promoting your brand with people who really, really care. And I think that's a good thing for health because the more invested you are in your health, the more healthy you're going to be, I think. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Counter so far. Don't forget to follow Pharma Intelligence Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and TuneIn. Also check out HBW Insight at hbw.sightline.com for all the latest health, beauty and wellness news and intelligence. Keep listening, this episode continues now. So what, uh, one more type of products that I wanted to ask you about is uh, at-home testing. So um, pandemic really introduced most people to at-home testing in a big way. Uh, it was a trend before that, but, you know, we're talking about the kinds of products where you can uh, take a sample of your gut microbiome <laughs> or blood or whatever it is, and either process that at home if you you know you can get these at home kind of processing things, yeah. can't you? Or you send it off, you get results that tell you about your health, and then you can take some sort of action 
based on that and often with a kind of digital online yep. or app based uh, way of interacting so it's obviously very exciting it has huge potential for personalization but then also there is quite a lot of boosterism about this quite a lot of from what i can understand more limitations to how much you can actually uh, say about these sorts of things at the moment and then mm -hmm. of course there are big high profile examples of where uh, this has perhaps been pursued in and not particularly well, uh, yeah exactly i mean what, what's your view of products like this i think every um i think every modern and digital first health proposition should have a way to both help us diagnose understand and retest and measure for efficacy um you, you talked a bit about vms there the, the the issue with vms as a category is that everybody and i do mean literally everybody reacts differently processes and um uh, processes vitamins minerals and supplements differently in their body so it's really hard to get validated robust data in this space um, which is probably why people are leaning more towards kind of real world evidence and real world data mm. certainly things like CGMs, consumer you know, continuous glucose monitors and wearables offer a really um, neat way for that continuous feedback loop. Um, <clears throat> the issue I think you have is that both the physical supplement and the behaviours that you need to change need to be able to react to that in a way which is super quick, super intuitive and 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 built around the individual. And so one of those aspects is a supply chain issue um to create you know to kind of um, have the personalized product and product which is going to help and there's businesses like for instance nourish that do really interesting kind of 3d printing of, of vitamins um but there's another thing around kind of the digital product itself and providing the right content at the right time really what they're trying to do is i, I think they'll have a great um space in this place but it's about the how quick how, what's the proximity and how do you lessen the time to action for both what the product needs to be and what the behavior needs to be. Otherwise, you just end up with this kind of um, test, um, kind of test learn loop where it's too slow to do anything about it. I certainly don't think we should be avoiding blood testing um, but just because of Theronis. And what we need to do is absolutely validate the people and the science <laughs> uh, in, with people like Theronis um because what they did was well clearly criminal which is why that lady is now behind bars um but but i think that as i say like any any modern um digital first proposition has a way to help people better understand the baseline state of play what's important is that you can then revisit that in in significant intervals and then show efficacy to then build trust in, in that in that space yeah i mean the question it raises as well for me is because we, we talked about partnerships before and Theranos had partnerships with, you know, big companies. Um, mm. If you, if you're, so going back to consumer healthcare companies trying to get their head around uh, digital in all of its facets, partnerships is a really good way to not have to build all of that expertise yourself. Yeah. I mean, we've seen partnerships being the main way that consumer health companies have moved into this space. But with also not having that knowledge, then it, there's that risk, isn't there? How do you know about the partners that, you know, they are trustworthy? It's not so much that, you know, they're not going to be trustworthy, but they're obviously doing new things. And mm -hmm. it's just it's all new for everyone. So it, it does raise it seems to me to raise the risk for companies, especially ones you know that have been along around for a long time. Their brands can be like over 100 years old. There's that real deep 
relationship yeah. between consumers um so maybe you just think well it's not worth the risk i mean how does that what's your view of that kind of yeah certainly certainly my experience and things that i've done you know we, we did at halion and i've done with other businesses is you've got to if you're going to get into a partnership you, you better be really aligned on the one the philosophy as to why you're getting together and and two what the intended outcome is and what the value you're trying to create together and i think often when these things are are done poorly is when they're not aligned um and you know when was at halion we set up coming called the Halion Rewire Health Studio um, and the reason one of the reasons we did that was because we knew that we needed to um, accelerate through partners that we couldn't that the world was moving far more quickly outside our business than it was inside it and that we wanted ways to to help amazing founders and we did meet some of the most incredible people honestly David like the most amazing people who were trying to make a really significant dent on a positive dent um, on, 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 on people's health around the world but one of the one of the processes we went through was kind of a, you know, a period of discovery and due diligence with them to really understand well what is the science, how could we help, what are they seeking to do, what needs to be true for us, so that we would enter into a partnership in 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 the right way, um, to get to get the right outcome. Um, I mean I think that the, the honest of this world, you know, thankfully are few and far between. There were always people who are willing to take far greater risks, but have incredible stories. And there are always people who are willing to believe them. I think you just need to make sure that you're on the right side of that fence, um, so that you so you don't do that. But it doesn't mean the partnership shouldn't work. And if anything, I mean, it's it's going to take a village to solve you know these huge problems that we that we're facing into in terms of the health of of, of the population. Um, so it can't be done alone. Um, and I, I'm a true believer of done right, you know, which is why I had such an amazing time at Halion. I was lucky enough to work for the chief digital officer, then directly into the CEO and then latterly the CMO. And um, I still a firm believer that, you know, done right, there is this incredible opportunity of where the very, very big meets the very, very small, but can accelerate one another and make a significant impact. I think that's I think that's important. So um so I'd like to see more amazing partnerships. And I think that will happen now. I think that maybe it's it's now more around tech companies um working with with large organizations than it is maybe smaller or smaller smaller businesses. Um but I think there's there's still opportunity to have an, an incredible impact. I think that's quite nice um you know that that way of doing it with small with the startups you know because you you can then have that period of getting to know each other can't you especially the way it was the kind of uh competitions or you know having putting proposals in and then working with uh companies to develop them yeah just give you a bit of time to explore together doesn't it rather than having a massive partnership and then you kind of all in yeah, I think there's, you know, there's there's always a nervousness, isn't there, from from all people. I, I think the the big thing I've always been an advocate of is, you know, we shouldn't waste people's time, and that we um we should leave them in a better place than we found them. Um, I think there's a, a huge amount of respect that large companies need to give to small companies around what their the mission that they're on and and, and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, but you need to you need to sense check each other out, you know, and certainly with with advisory I do now for startups when we talk about working with large companies, it's like, are we really clear around what is the value proposition, what's the value and, and whether it's going to be truly additive to your company moving forward. And that 
people get very um when, when, we, when we were at Halion, um it was funny the amount of startups that would come to us and say we want to work with the big brands and the first thing we would say is like no you don't not straight away like you, you don't want to do that because you're not ready to work with them yet and they're not ready to work with you yet and, and so we had to be very clear and refine had an amazing team who were spending time just refining the propositions and getting to the real nub of what's the one small thing we can do and let's do that really really well let's get the data let's build the confidence and then let's move forward with it um versus everything being big immediately which sounds very sexy on a on a powerpoint slide but in reality is one of the worst things that you can do at the start yeah i think that's really good advice as well so i think yeah the, the question then comes about working with the big companies you know these massive partnerships that you see between big health companies and google for example or microsoft mm. these companies are clearly trying to get into health as well so they're moving in it from the other side do you think that the future is going to be the Halions, the Kenviews, et cetera, or it's going to be the Google, the Amazon with their health, because uh, they've got the they've got the digital infrastructure. Mm. Um, you know, is it is it a race or is actually, you know, there's enough of a, a need so that they can both coexist? Well, I think if the question is who's going to win, um, I'm hoping consumers are going to win. <laughs> um, as I said, I mean, I think it, it it takes a village and there's not one company out there that is going to crack this particular nut. I think everyone has a part to play, but they all need to be, whether it's a big company or a small company, they all need to be orientated around the same consumer problem and they need to be in it for the long term. And I think the goal needs to be audacious to, to make a difference. Um, certainly, I think, you know, Amazon represents a fascinating business within everyday health or within healthcare, um, because at the end of the day, one of the biggest problems within health is um, is operational efficiency. And um, and they're a business, they're an operations business at the end of the day, you know, and, and, and Bezos famously said, your margin is my opportunity. And it is a business that is full of very rich margins. So I'm, you know, I, I think that there's, if you look at what Amazon have done, and we'll talk a little bit about Amazon and others, if you look what Amazon have done over the last four or five years, they have kind of systematically experimented with different aspects of healthcare, whether it's insurance that they did stuff with, um, you know, with with Morgans, whether it's um, the um, buying acquisition of PillPack, whether it's HIPAA compliance through Alexa, whether it's um, Amazon Care that they rolled out amongst their employees, or which has now moved into Amazon Clinic, whether it's the band, I can't even remember the name of the band that they had that was just measuring things like um, Body Max Index. Um, it, all of these things are helping them understand where and how they should move into move into health. Um, and the deal that they just did with Amada, um, which I think they announced um, earlier this week, <clears throat> I think it was Tuesday this week, um, proves to me that they've kind of said where they you know what point do they need to enter into this market which point of the consumer journey and is it best for them to enter into it or, is it, or do they do it through a partnership they're not they're not a business that is, strikes me you know gets into something they don't think they can excel at and and create much better experiences than we're at the moment so the question with all of these partners and all of these tech <coughs> companies is is what they do truly better and differentiated than what it is now or is it just technology for technology's sake? Um, and I think that, you know, you, you'll see an awful lot of kind of consolidation in this space where there'll be, you know, just the expectations of what the experiences need to be, the regulations that they need to hit, and then ultimately it will consolidate 
you know um and then really kind of where they'll win the way that people win is where and how do you share opportunity where and how do you kind of build solutions around the around a consumer experience or a patient experience or a, or a physician experience or a pharmacy pharmacist experience which is genuinely better and makes their lives easier so they can spend more time caring for people and less time doing the admin or worrying about anything else within their business so um, I don't know but I hope, I'm hoping consumers will win. <laughs> yeah well yeah I'm sure our listeners are also hoping, hoping that consumer health companies can also win but yeah um, yeah well I mean it's been an extremely uh, wide-ranging conversation. Um, covered a lot of ground. I'm just wondering before we finish, um, is there anything that we haven't covered that you think is important, or you know that is maybe so far ahead that we're not even thinking about it yet? Wow, what an amazing question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is there anything we haven't, crystal, I think we haven't covered? A lot. I mean, you're right, goodness me, we've co- we have covered a lot. Um, yeah. I think I think there's something interesting. We touched on it a little bit, didn't we, around kind of uh, uh, you know the, the ticking time bomb that is kind of an aging population and the comorbidities that and the choice that people will need to be able to make. Um, I think I, I think there's something really interesting around um, Gen Z and Gen Alpha and their relationship with their health. Um, I've got a a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 2-year-old. Their experience of the world, how they, their expectations of immediacy, um, of, uh, of, of the instantaneous gratification and the instantaneous service that they see through, you know, putting on a Netflix or a website loading immediately or, or whatever it might be at some point that will trickle through to health and i think that you have this problem of everything being more pointing to a more sedentary lifestyle where things are taken care of for us and they're brought to us and it's immediate with this point around aging populations comorbidities and and more data and the right behaviors and I just wonder what my son Artie and his kids, what their relationship with health will be like. And I think that there's probably not enough um, conversation or research to help us understand how those expectations are changing over time. You know, I'm 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 41 and arguably fixed in my position, or more fixed than they are in terms of my relationship with my health and my expectations of things we talked a bit about the NHS earlier that's always something that's been in the, in my background you know in my psyche and I've only ever lived in England um so so I just but I wonder when we talk about change and relationships with health and expectations of health and whether it's digital or physical whether it's paid for or non-paid for whether it's about behaviors whether it haves or haves not I, I just wonder what that generation is going to think and do in reaction to this every generation goes before goes after and goes what the hell are you doing <laughs> and i just wonder and slightly cringe as to what they'll say about us <laughs> yeah but i mean already we can see um that young people are just so much more engaged in their health aren't they and mm. just really um just have a a more proactive idea of what that is about they'd also um you know, I can't, I can't remember which presentation I saw. I think I was at Cannes last year, and I think I saw WGSN do an amazing presentation around health attitudes in America for under 14-year-olds. 
and these are people who don't want to drink but do want to take edibles you're okay so you know one thing we could talk about is you know psychedelics and whilst that is not mainstream now there is huge research going into it within pharma companies and at some point a bit like fashion hits the catwalks first and then it hits you know top shop um it, what will happen with with new and different types of strains of drugs and new and different types of variations of um yeah i don't know mushrooms or whatever it might be which are valid alternatives to traditional healthcare um so i think there's there's so much of that stuff which will be pervasive and we come talk we have talked a lot about ai regulation and data regulation today there's a whole other side to that which is what has been classed as previously alternative medicine becoming medicine um and i think that's a huge opportunity as to people's expectations you know and, and relationship with their with their health but goodness me it's, it's an amazing point to be involved in this industry isn't it and uh, mm. so it's a, it is a really interesting time to be involved in consumer health i mean as a journalist it's really interesting having these sorts of conversations yeah increasingly big picture you know deep philosophical conversations about consumer health so uh, i can only thank you for the no, time thank you, you spent. <laughs> thank you so much I hope you enjoyed this episode of Over the Counter. Listen out for more episodes every two weeks and check out the further reading section of the article published on hbw.sightline.com for related news and intelligence. And don't forget to follow, share and comment on Sightline podcasts on the platform of your choice. See you next time.